Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Jason Stubblefield from SNS Capital Partners. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Sure. Likewise. Thank you very much, Jason. A little bit about Jason. Jason has been investing in real estate for over 10 years. He started with single family homes and eventually obtained his residential real estate license with Keller Williams. Jason has since moved into the multifamily real estate investing space and is a general partner in over 900 multifamily units has over 11 years experience in software development and has a bachelor of bachelor of science degree in computer science from the university of memphis he's also a united states marine corps veteran so with that jason you want to add anything to your background um no i think that's a good a good summary that may be a little um outdated uh but but for the most part it's it sums up my background right the portfolio was a little over a thousand units but we started selling some stuff off in 2022 and 2021 because it was it just made sense but uh yeah that, that's really what i'm doing and and sort of moving forward full full speed into the multifamily apartments and i'm pretty sure maybe later on we'll chat about what we're doing in the in the affordable housing space absolutely absolutely so you yeah, how like uh marine cops experience and also you work in software development side and uh single families and also i think uh real estate license also right so how, yeah share me what exactly you learned from those experiences how exactly you are implementing those skills into multifamily space i think software really helped a lot because uh if there's any software developers listening right it's it's you sort of work on components or modules right and so i tend to compartmentalize my uh my business right and so with that i look for a little component and try to fix it and and uh make sure that it's operational and then you sort of move on to another component and you build that so it's uh very much that's how I think about it. I think that helps a lot. When it comes to what I was doing in residential and having a real estate license, uh, none of that stuff really, really played a factor into what I'm doing right now. The real estate license, I was, I wasn't that good. I was a trash agent. Uh, I, I wasn't trash, but you know, I, I wasn't one of the big guys who was, you know, selling a uh, hundred homes a year or anything like that. It's something that I really did primarily for investment purposes, right? That's why I got the license. Like I want to invest. So it might, it just made sense. But um, other than that, I think it was all learning experience and it helped build a foundation for what I'm doing now. Having had those experiences, like, okay, I feel like multifamily is really where I needed to be. Got it. Got it. So w- what is the reason behind choosing multifamily? Well, one day I, I, took out a spreadsheet and I looked at how much, uh, how many single family homes I was going to need in order to be able to have a a lifestyle that was meaningful uh, from it. And then that became my wake up call. I was like, wow, this is going to take me, uh, I don't know what it was, 15, 20 years or something. I could only buy one house a year, usually um, at at the way I was going. And I just didn't want to take that long. So 
Uh, I started research and I looked at several other things. I think during that time where I realized I need to do something else is when I got my real estate license. Um, I also worked on a app, right? I was going to build an app, all these other things that I was doing to try to solve this problem of, of not wanting to work my current job or being able to be in control of my own finances. When I found multifamily, though, it checked all the boxes of things that I would look for in real estate. And it was also able to be accomplished much faster than everything else that I was doing. Awesome. Cool. So uh, during our offline chat, you mentioned you're focusing on light tech side. So what is your process of, uh, I mean, acquiring, you know, light tech, light tech related properties? Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, just to give a little bit of background, right? Um, affordable housing is a national crisis, right? It's really, it's really hard. And multifamily, I've been a part of that problem too, right? We're always doing value add. And where we are in the market right now is that you have properties that have traded two or three times in the last five years, right? And each time someone's coming along with a value add and value add, and that's become very burdensome on our tenant base. And so affordable housing is something that I always had, well, I won't necessarily say affordable housing is something that I always wanted to do because that would be false, right? But having an affinity towards people who aren't making that much money, uh, my background is lower income, right? So I'm I'm used to hanging around people that that are sort of struggling, right? I have much more in common. Uh, I spent much more of my life being the person that was probably struggling to pay rent than I would be an investor who could maybe cut a $500,000 check or something like that, right? So because of that, I always was cognizant of what we're doing and tried to make sure that we we gave value to tenants and uh, some of the properties that we own were C-class properties. So brief background, right? So I always just wanted to try to do something there. When you get to affordable housing, though, it's uh, it really becomes challenging to be able to, one, in generate returns for investors and be able to keep properties at a level that's that's not burdensome to the tenant. Right. At some point, the cost of real estate just outpaces what you have to do in rent. And you end up having to increase rents in order to make the numbers work. And so affordable housing comes in where you have this public-private partnership, where you have government that's working together and you have some some um, entity, right? Maybe a Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and they come in and they get a, uh, basically they have a very unique capital structure um, that's not necessarily looking for yield, but it's more so looking for tax credits. And that's where you get the low-income housing tax credits. So this equity partner, as I mentioned, like uh, Amazon is even in in the business now, or Wells Fargo or something, they're coming in as the equity partner on these deals, but their reward isn't necessarily the payoff or the, the distributions from the property. It's more so the tax credits that they get and that they receive over a 10-year period of time. Well, a company does is that we... We pursue those opportunities, whether they are um, usually we we pursue existing uh, light tech deals. Right. So something that's already been built, already functioning, already has tenants in it. Um, and after that period of, say, 10 or 15 or 30 years, whatever it is, after that goes away, you have this low income housing property and sort of like, what are you going to do with it? Right. So our, our main focus is then buying that. And we are uh, we're able to implement value add. We also have 
the ability to go in and work with the government again to resecure the property for another 15 or 20 or 30 years, what have you. So uh, I found that approach to be something that is unique, but also something that's very needed um, needed in the market right now. So putting that together, it allows us to generate great returns for our investors because we have this this sort of unique niche. And then also we have uh, additional upside of of doing value-add properties or, or um, value-add upgrades to these properties and keeping the incomes or, or the rentals uh, relatively low compared to what the rest of the market is charging. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing you know, background of affordability, you know, and also this program. And, you know, from underwriting point of view or pricing point of view, so how it is different from, you know, a regular, a regular conventional apartments? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, in we have two different structures, uh, two different models, right? When we when we evaluate these deals, so the, the first model is really similar to your standard syndication, right? It's 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 a lot more um, restrictive as far as like tenant bases and what you can do, but there's still value add real estate. You're still buying something that's existing. Um, we still look for operational efficiencies, all those, all those sorts of things. So we pursue light tech deals that have some value add component to them. And, but our goal is to keep them affordable. And what happens is the government will adjust rents every year according to whatever's going on in the market. So it may be 3%, uh, 2022 saw, so, uh, crazy rental adjustment. It was almost like a double digit rent increases in affordable housing for a lot of the country right so with that gap there's there's value to be had right you can you can do value add um real estate deals in the affordable housing space so that's one method that we invoke the other method is where we we start off with the one the, the first method i just told you about but then we take it to a, a, a different level of trying to resyndicate. What does that mean? That means that we're going to go in and try to partner with the government again. So we're saying like, hey, government, you made you helped make this affordable for the last 15 years or 20 years, what have you. Now we want to do it again. We want to secure it for another 15 years or so. And so we partner with the government agency to do that. Uh, it's a lot of paperwork, it's a lot of fees. But the end result is that we're, we're really able to keep something affordable for long term. And these renovations are unlike your typical value add renovation. Because you're working with the government and because you're working with a, an entity, that doesn't necessarily care about the returns of a property, right? They they spend a lot of, of money putting into the property. So whereas our typical value add may be $8,000 or so for, for a property to, you know, pretty it up and address any uh, capital expenditures or something like that. In these projects, they usually want to see on the very low end, $25,000, $30,000 in rehab. And so we'll typically do something like $40,000 a unit rehab. And what we do with that is, is replace every component that won't last for 15 years. So if the roof isn't going to make it 15 years, we're doing the roof. We're doing the, the asphalt, windows, HVACs, and the interior upgrades when it comes to bathrooms, kitchens, and all that. So you can create pristine properties uh, that that are very well upkept, that um, serve the community, that you know even I would live in just from the quality of it. Yet it's affordable housing, and and some people think about affordable housing, they think about the ghetto and that it's going to be run down, and and uh, but that's not what we're doing at all. What we're actually doing is creating 
nice living conditions for tenants at, at income restricted levels, but we do that and sustain it long long term. Okay, got it. Thank you. So from you know investors point of view, so they will get tax credits from year one or so when exactly they will get that tax credits benefits? Yeah, yeah. So so I'm glad you asked that. So it, it can be confusing when it comes to the tax credits. The tax credits are not necessarily for the individual investor, right? So the tax credit goes to the what you would call like the, the sponsoring entity or the equity partner. And this is exclusive to when we're working with the government. Right. If we're not working with the government and our investors are just buying this tax credit uh, property with us, then it's the exact same as your typical market rate. Right. We'll do cost seg studies. Um, you get your your regular tax deductions from owning real estate. Okay. When it goes into the uh, tax credit program, we work with that equity partner. What they get is a tax credit write-off for the next 10 years, depending on how much money they contribute uh, to the project. So that's a key distinction, right? A lot of investors, they think tax credit property, and they think that there's going to be some added benefit to it. And while there are benefits, taxes aren't necessarily one of them. Okay. Got it. So what are the typical hold period for uh, this kind of properties? Uh, yeah. So if we work with the government, we we really uh, we have to submit an application. Right. And that application is um, could take anywhere from a year to two years to get approved. Uh, well, really, it, it could take about a year. And if you don't get it, maybe we do it again. So the investors who invest with us, it's, it's a lot short, uh, it's a lot of a shorter term period, right? So uh, where most syndications will project out five years or seven years, we would have one approach that may be two years, right? Uh, if we don't work with the government, then we always have our, our plan B, just owning and operating like the typical syndication. So what our investors find is that they they show up and when you look at our uh, investment deck, right? You're going to have these these two different strategies, right? One where you'll get your money back in in two years, and we try to compensate them accordingly for the shorter term. But um, usually, that's a, a lot more attractive return. And then we have our longer term projection too, which is uh, better than what I'm seeing in most syndications right now, with just what we're able to do and being in this uh, in this niche of affordable housing. Got it. Awesome. So how exactly financing works for uh, the, the, this kind of properties? Yeah. Um, the One of the benefits of it is that because it is it is a national crisis, you have lenders that are trying to p- play a part. And you also have other government agencies, entities, and nonprofits that are all sort of trying to come together and see what they can do. So um, on market rate, we may only get 75, 80% financing. What I found is lenders will be willing to go up to 85 or 90% on an affordable deal. Um, of course, you have debt service coverage restraints um, with that, but they're not as they're not as uh, stringent on the proceeds as market rate. Also, these other government agencies, um, they they have special types of loans, right? So we have a property that we're doing right now. It has a uh, like a million, over a million dollar loan at 1% interest. I mean, that's that's crazy. 1% interest. I, have, I haven't seen debt like that, right? But you have other things like that at play to help these projects work. And then you have nonprofits and they may come in and, and offer grants or so. So what we're able to do is get really creative and have more tools in our toolbox for the capital stack 
And what what happens is our our um, our investors benefit from that because we have a creative, uh, you know, a lower cost of capital in our capital stack and how we structure it. And then that trickles up to our investors who who are able to get returns from that. Got it. So any bridge options available for uh, this kind of properties? What type of options? Bridge bridge loan options. Absolutely. Yep. So it's it's typical. You know, you you have the bridge, you have the agency lenders. you know, everything is still available. It's just a different type of lender, usually that that sort of specializes in this affordable piece. Got it. Got it. Sure. So, from operations point of view, so uh, did you face any challenges man- managing these kind of properties? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it does have its challenges, right? Uh, one of those being um, the restrictions of tenants, right? So it is income restricted. And with that, there's more compliance involved. So you're working with the government agency. So you can't make, you know, $200,000 and live at a apartment complex and, you know, only pay a thousand dollars from rent or whatever it is. Right. Um, so we have to verify that they also have to recertify every year. And there's, a, there's additional costs from a property management standpoint of making sure that your property is in compliance um, also managing the tax credit aspect of it, right? Compliance is a part of that. And so being out of compliance, um, it has its drawbacks. And basically uh, the way we hedge against that is just working with property management companies that specialize in affordable housing and know how these things work. Um, that's part of the operations. Other than that, it's it's our tenant base is no different than any other property, right? We, we, we haven't at this point really just focused on um, Section 8 only or, or people that aren't working. Our tenant base is focused on people who are working, right? So it's it's what, what we call essential workers in the mil- in the midst of COVID, right? So think about um, school teachers or or people who work in retail or restaurant hostess, something like that, right? They they have jobs, they're just not making uh, a lot of money to be able to afford that, you know, $2,200, $2,300 a month in rent that you see in a lot of markets right now. Got it. So what are the common mistakes made in the affordability you know, acquisitions or you know, operations? Yeah, the operations is like if you're not verifying your tenant income, if you are, um, if you're letting, if you're not doing your recertifications. And a lot of a lot of these things are mitigated though, because compliance is a part of like the government makes you submit these documents on a yearly basis. If you don't do them, that's a big no-no, and you can end up losing your tax credits and that that's going to harm the developer where you won't be able to do another tax credit deal again. But if you're compliant and you're generally following the process, right, a lot of those uh, checks and balances are sort of they sort of come with the territory and you've got to be able to to navigate around that. Got it. So would you share any best uh, multifamily investing experience so far? My best multifamily experience. Yes. Well, I would, I would say that the the whole journey, right, is is really it's really been exciting. It's forced me to grow in ways, and so every time that I face challenges, for instance, I've had uh, challenges when it comes to raising capital, right, and and doing deals that were bigger than the capital base that that I necessarily had. Each time I approach one of those challenges, it forces me to grow, right, in in some level of my life, right, to expand my level of awareness, my 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 network, whatever it's been. And so overall, these challenges of being a multifamily entrepreneur have forced me to grow. And so I think that those best challenges have really been internal, right? It's really been from uh, seeing the progression within myself, 
but I think that 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 leads to me being a, a better person and and also having more tools in the chest when it comes to to helping other people and and even with my family and, and friends. Got you. So, would you also share any challenging experiences? Um, sure. So, um, uh, a lot of them were learned on the first deal, first deal that I had. Um, uh, and I could talk about it even something more current, right? So, let's talk about bad debt, right? Because I think that this is something that maybe a lot, not a lot of people are are focusing on right now. Bad debt is something that that happens, and especially in COVID, um, in the COVID world, you have courthouses or whatever. It's hard to get in court and get evictions done. And and I'm even in landlord-friendly states like Georgia and Tennessee, and we're having issues here. So I can only imagine what's going on in some of the, the blue states. Um, but the way we handle that is really you have to get creative, right? And it's, it's making your tenants aware of what's going on. So we had a property, we looked at the bad debt, so this is way too high, right? And then we start a program of trying to correct that. So what does that involve? It's basically all hands on deck to try to resolve this issue. So we work with a lot of tenants to see if we can get them involved in some type of program. Okay, can we get you some government assistance? Uh, do you qualify? Is it because you got laid off or your hours got cut or something like that? Uh, so we, we look to do that. Also, we do go through evictions. It is part of part of life. And we try to see, like, how long is that going to take? And then with that, we also done things like cash for keys. This is a situation where we might just be able to pay a tenant to be able to to leave or relocate because staying on our books is actually going to be more costly than it was to, to do it otherwise. Right. And, and so uh, additional screening is something right. What we what we've seen is that. Uh, tenants have shown up and they have fraudulent W-2s or, you know, pay stubs even. Right. And so we've added extra levels of scrutiny to say, are you making enough to live here and try to catch those things and, and really trying to just dig in. And that's how you adapt to problems that are necessary that aren't necessarily fitting within the world of, of typical multifamily and and what most people will say, right? Hey, you show up and you you collect your rents and then it's a, you know, happy, happy go lucky for everybody. Yeah, got it. Awesome. And uh, let's shift towards personal stuff. So any personal habits that are helping you to be successful? Yeah, I would say um, meditation is something that I do on a regular basis. Exercise every morning is, is something that something that I do. Um visualization is also something that I do. So there's, there was a book called the, the Miracle Morning and I do a lot of those practices that, that make sense out of that book. Great. So, and also share me like any one thought or movement or any one idea or any one learning or any one decision that impacted your life. Any one moment that sort of impacted my life. Definitely. I remember, I remember um, when I was, I was working a corporate job and um, my my crew, right, we were going to go to a trip to Miami. It was Memorial Day weekend. And we put everything together. We saved our money. We we're going to get a hotel and we we're going to Miami. And I felt pretty good about that. Uh, that, I don't know, one day before our trip, I got into the elevator with the CEO of our company, right? And I'm sort of riding down with him. He asked what are my plans for the long weekend. I told him I'm going to Miami. Felt kind of good about it. And then after I finished talking, I said, well, what are you going to do? And uh, he said, well, I think that me and my wife are going to take a trip out of the country. Right. Um, and he said that being very casual and he got off the elevator and walked away. And I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about that. I was like, what's the difference be between me and him? The fact that I've done all this planning 
and trying to figure out where I'm going to go and concerned about the money, how I'm going to get to Miami, right? And and here he is about to go fly to some other country and doesn't even know where he's going yet. And the only thing that that really stood out from that conversation was just he knows something that I don't know. Right? He has a different uh, a different set of thought structures than what I have. And from that on, I became a lifelong learner. Like I just wanted to, I wanted to learn. Awesome, awesome. And any book that impacted your life? Yeah, I would say The Science of Getting Rich. Um, it, it's a book that it really, it takes a lot of, um, a lot of different principles and it boils them down to their purest form. And it's a very short, condensed, condensed book, but I like reading that book. Uh, I don't know how many times I've read it, but over and over again, because the principles, um, they, they're true for me. Awesome. So how can listeners can connect with you, Jason? Um, sure. We go to jasonstubblefield.com. Find out more about me. You can hear about our, our deals from there and also connect with the with the community that I have that I'm I'm growing and just sharing more information about what I'm doing. Awesome. And thank you very much, Jason. Uh, really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing uh, affordability housing, you know, uh, related information. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.